I want you to open your Bible today to page 962. And uh, I'll stay right glued to this pulpit, which keeps me glued to this microphone. But I do thank you for being here today. And certainly at the end today, we want to have a prayer for the people in Uvalde. That's the saddest thing. Uh, I can't imagine what those families are going through. And we're all... Um, praying, I know we, I, I would believe all of us have remembered them in our prayers. Uh, I'm trying to make a contact, and I, I, I have a good contact, or, uh, like what, what can we as a church do? And um, we do have a good bit of Baptist work down in Uvalde, more than you'd think. You'd think most of that would be Catholic work, and I'm sure the predominance is, but there are some good churches in that area. And this afternoon, I'm going to speak to the director of missions there who can maybe put me in contact, like what can First Baptist Church Pasadena, like how can we help so we don't just, you know, do something and hope it works, that we can have uh, some specific people that we can do with, whatever we can do. And so you just pray God would help us with that. Well, you know, I, one of my favorite places to go, and, and, and I look forward to going back, to the Holy Land. In fact, I mentioned a while ago, uh, someone asked me, Pastor, when's your next trip you have planned anywhere to go anywhere? Because we've not been anywhere in three years. I said, well, fall of next year is my big plan. And I do hope we go somewhere before the fall of next year. But I, I'm really working on trying to have a, a group to go back to the Holy Land in, in uh, October of 2023. And we're working on the dates now about that. And we'll just kind of see how it goes. Now, there's many of you have been to the Holy Land. And, you know, when you go to the Holy Land, you have these sites that you go to visit. And um, at almost each of these sites, uh, either the Franciscan Church or the Catholic Church has built like um, either a little small building of some kind to say, you know, like if you're up on the Mount of Olives, you know, Jesus stood right here and this is where he ascended. Well, I always say to my group, when we go, now look, there are, very, there are some places you go in Israel where you can say we're actually walking where Jesus actually walked on the, on the level he walked. But whether this, if, if you're not careful, you get all turned off, you know, that this, this has been kind of turned into this and this and this. You say, look, whether Jesus went from this spot or this spot or that spot or whatever, the Mount of Olives is a Mount of Olives. Sea of Galilee, Sea of Galilee. Golgotha is Golgotha. The empty tomb is the empty tomb. And so you don't get, you know, you just say, well, it is what it is. Well, my third favorite site to visit in the Holy Land is known as the Church of the Primacy. The Church of the Primacy it's it's in the northwest it's shore of the Sea of Galilee. You know, the Sea of Galilee is at Tiberias. And, of course, that body of water is called the Sea of Tiberias. It's also called the Sea of Galilee in the Bible. Both names are used. And then also it goes by a third name, Genesaret, which is refers to an area. So, and it's really not a sea. It's a fresh body of water that begins up at Mount Hermon and flows down and comes into the Sea of Galilee and then leaves and, and moves on down to the Dead Sea. And be that as it may, Tiberias is, is at the Sea of Galilee. Where we stay is literally 
on the water of the Sea of Galilee. Now, many of the sites in the Galilee area are around the Sea of Galilee because that's where Jesus spent much of his ministry. And my favorite is the Church of Promise. You say, well, what is your favorite? Well, my favorite would be, my favorite would be the empty tomb or my favorite would be Golgotha, you know, whichever you want. So one to be one, one to be two. But other than that, I love going to the Church of the Promise. And I especially love going there. It's John's favorite place probably. And I love to go when, uh, when we can get this certain pavilion, if we can. We can't always get that certain pavilion. And I love to be there when John gives a devotional there. He does an excellent job giving a devotional there. Now, we read about what happened that makes it be called uh, the, the uh, Church of the Primacy in John chapter 21. But I want you to look with me in John chapter 20. And let's pick up, you should be on page 962. Let's pick up in John chapter 20, about verse 24, and kind of read a little background so we'll know what's going on here. In John chapter 20, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Now this is after the resurrection. Jesus had appeared to the disciples, but remember, Thomas wasn't in the room when Jesus came. Now, this is what this is talking about. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my fingers into the print of his nails, uh, of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. And this time Thomas was with them. Now he's there. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be to you. Obviously, Jesus' resurrected body was different. I mean, he just comes into a room when the doors are locked. He just in the room. Then in verse 27, he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe him. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now that's a little background to chapter 21. Now let's look in chapter 21. It says, now after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now we're over in this body of water at Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Old Peter said, look, I'm going back into fishing business. I was kind of in the religious business when Jesus was on earth, but now Jesus is gone. I'm going back into fishing business. They said to him, we're going with you also. So old Peter, you know, he's kind of the leader of the group. So they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, now that's the apostle John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. 
But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 200 cubits. That'd be about 100 yards, dragging the net with the fish. Now look in verse 9. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, now bring some of the fish which you've caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of the large fish, 153. And there were so many, the net was not broken. I, it's interesting, even in the, in the Holy Land, that I've heard so many different explanations about this, what this 153 fish stands for. And uh, I was even reading a commentary yesterday saying, you know, there, there's one group of theologians that believes it means this and believes it means this and believes it means this. And believes it means... I'm going to tell you what I think it means. I mean, I think it means they caught 153 fish. <laughs> Remember, these guys are fishermen and they were going to need to divide these fish up because this is how they made a living. And, uh, I, I think sometimes we, it's interesting how people can take numbers. Uh, let me just say this about numbers in the Bible. Don't ever build your theology on numerology. You'll, you'll uh, either lose your faith or you'll lose your mind. But be that as it may, that's what they had. Well, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. And this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, my little talk today, it's, it's a really interesting thought. God has different ways to probe our conscience. And nowhere do we see it better than we do in John chapter 21. Now, God, he probed Peter's conscience, I believe, in two ways. One of them we see down in verse number 9. This little phrase, the fire of coals. Now let's just put our let's just put ourselves in Peter's shoes a moment. They come up, and here's Jesus cooking fish on a fire of coals. And I believe that when Peter saw that fire of coals, it reminded him of when he last had seen a fire of coals. If you'll turn back just a page or two in your Bible to chapter 18, turn back to chapter 18 and look with me down in verse 18, you'll see another time that Peter saw a fire of coals. It was when Peter had denied Christ. And you know the story in verse 18, now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. It's interesting. The little phrase, fire of coals, comes from a Greek word. It's only found two times in the whole New Testament. In John chapter 18, verse 18, and John chapter 21, verse 9. So, and of course, if you go back and read about the denials, you know when the servant girls came up and said, Oh, you're one of his. He said, I don't know the man. Peter denied Christ three times. And then, of course, you remember, it grieved him so that he finally went out and wept. Now, I, I do believe that when he came up and saw this fire of coals, it reminded him that he had denied even knowing Jesus. I mean, what could be worse than denying knowing the Lord? Now, 
I think it probed his conscience. Another thing that we read in this scripture that I think that probed his conscience is in verse 13. When he saw Jesus, he took the bread, he gave it to them, this case the disciples, and likewise the fish. I think when Peter saw Jesus take his hands, give the disciples the bread, give the disciples the fish, it reminded him. When Jesus took the bread and took the fish, read it back in John chapter 6, and fed the 5,000 men, and in Matthew's gospel tells us women and children, probably 20,000 people there. So I'm saying this, that as I read this 21st chapter, I think things are going on in Peter's mind that if we don't think a little bit, we'll miss that got his attention because Jesus is really about uh, to deal with Simon Peter in a very specific way. Now, as I think about that, here's, here's, here's what I was thinking. In all of our lives, there have been places and people and things that remind us when in times past, perhaps we too, in our actions and our words, denied the Lord. You know, I'm not going to illustrate because I wouldn't know how to illustrate for you. Like, I have no idea in your past what maybe some fire coals may be. It may be a place where you went the opposite of the way God teaches to go or where you said uh, total contrary to what God's Word teaches we are to say. And, and yet, we remember these times and remember these places. We remember these actions and these deeds. And it probes our conscience. Now, when that happens, I think the important thing is we just need to know how to deal with it. First of all, we need to just, if we've not already, we need to confess to God that God back there, I, I, I did something I, I wish I hadn't done. I'd give anything if I could undo it. We can't undo it, but here's what we can do. We can put it under the blood of Jesus. So you confess it. And not only that, when you sometimes something will come to your mind, maybe you're a fire of coals, that some action, some deed, some something back yonder. You know, we call it guilt. Well, you know, guilt can be a good thing if you handle it the right way. Guilt can be like a preventive thing that keeps us from doing it again. So sometimes our past failures, when we think about them or we maybe get put in a situation that would be similar and that comes to our mind, it can be a very healthy thing. Don't go there again. Don't, don't do that again. And so, you know, it, it, it dealt with properly. Uh, it can remind us of things that will save us a lot of pain and a lot of problems. Now, another thing is I read John chapter 21 and have to think on beyond John chapter 21 is that God uses imperfect people. God uses imperfect people. Here's old Simon Peter. I mean, what, what worse can a man do while they're preparing to get Jesus over to Jerusalem to finally crucify him than to deny even knowing him. One of his disciples, the leader of the disciples says, I don't know the man. No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And another servant girl come along and say, oh, you're one of them. You, no, no. Well, 
He, he's an example of an imperfect person. And it, it's, we, we just need to understand that, uh, that we're all imperfect people. And the, the point is, as you read on in this chapter, and of course, you know, it's this, this chapter that t- where Jesus asked Peter three times, did he love him? And that would be another good Tuesday Bible lunch dealing with, with all three of those questions because a lot of different words are used in that that have a lot of different, they're very, very important. But here's the deal. He restored his ministry. Here's a man, the leader of the disciples, denied the Lord three times, but then over in John chapter 21, and he's gotten out of the ministry, gone back into fishing business, but now what's going to happen? God's going to put him back in his business. God's going to give him a second chance. God's going to use him in kingdom work. You say, how did that happen? Well, read in the book of Acts. In Acts chapters 1 through 12, it's all about Peter. God using Peter, old Simon Peter. Acts chapters 1 through 12. Then God used Simon Peter to write two books in the New Testament, First and Second Peter. Those are powerful books. They have a great message to believers that are going through hard times and persecution and difficulties. And so God used him in a beautiful way. Here's, you know, as I think about old Simon Peter, the leader of the disciples, denied the Lord, and then here he is in John chapter 21, and God's asking him, you know, about do you love me? And then he says to him, well, then here's what you do. Well, he told him what to do, and he got out there, and old Simon Peter did it. And we read about it in Acts chapters 1 through 12. Here, here's the bottom line. God is not looking for perfection. If he, if he is, that eliminates all of us. But it eliminates all other mankind. What God is looking for is progression. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but listen, every day we should pray, God help me today to progress, to know you better, to love you more, to obey you as you tell me, and God help me to do all of that. And then I think about the sins that we've all committed. You know, we need to remember there is no sin that God cannot forgive. There's no sin that God will not forgive if we repent of that sin. And here's the key to that. There is a difference between regret and repentance. You remember the Bible says after he had denied the Lord three times that he went out and wept bitterly. I think that's regret. I don't think that was repentance. I think his repentance comes over here in John chapter 21 when Jesus put him in a corner about, do you love me? And he began to use different words talking about a different kind of love. I want to just encourage you today. Listen, don't let the devil make you think because back yonder somewhere you did this or you failed to do that or this happened or that happened. Listen, we have a perfect God, but we're imperfect people. Isn't that true? And what we just have to do is put our sins under the blood and thank God that he's a God of a second chance. And there's no one in the Bible that's a better illustration of that than Simon Peter. God, you do have different ways to probe our conscience. It's amazing. Sometimes, God, we'll just be just out of the blue. Something will come along that will just remind us of a time that, that we, we, we went the wrong way. We did the wrong thing.
And we've all done that. We've all been there. But I thank you, God, that if we will repent of that, put that under the blood, accept your forgiveness, and turn from whatever that was and go your way, the fact of the matter is, God, you use imperfect people. And I just thank you for that. I pray today thy blessings, God, on each one who is here. And Lord, we pray for the families in Uvalde. I, I don't even, I can't imagine what those families are going through. I, I try to even think, and I just, it's just, it's just beyond me to think that those little, precious little small children that had so much promise to live for, just gone. And those families' lives will never, ever be the same. There'll be a new normal, but it will never be what it would have been. But God, you're the God of all comfort, and you can help in ways we don't understand. And God, I, even this afternoon, I'm trying to get connected up with some way we can, as a church, do whatever we can do to help. And, and I pray for those that are there helping. But I pray specifically today for those families, God, and ask you to comfort them and bless them. And now, God, help us the rest of this week. Just be faithful in our opportunities and help us to be an encouragement to people that we're around. In Jesus' name, amen.